I love the body of Christ. I love the church of Jesus Christ. And we've been doing mission work over in Africa for the past four years, living in South Africa, up into Kenya. And, and, uh, and, and what I love about the church is that we are the church. We are uh, one family of God. And, and, and I truly believe that we are a force to be reckoned with. And I think, you know, I, I, I love when I, I go to the bush of Kenya, and we're in the middle of nowhere. We're actually at the moment, we're working with a group of churches, around 70 churches. Uh, Twelve of them are still meeting under trees, and so we're actually putting together a program to build them some churches over the next couple of years. But they, they worship the same God that we worship. They praise the same God that we praise. They, they preach out of the same Bible that we preach out of. And I love this picture of, I know we meet individually in our own church, local church gatherings, but we are the body of Christ. And I truly believe that a Christ-centered, spirit-filled church is the hope of the world because we carry the hope of the world. His name is Jesus. He, he, Jesus, can, can I say this before I get in the message this morning? There are a lot of problems in the world. There are, there are a lot of issues in the world. But can I start and, and inform you that there's an answer? Because the truth is that government's not the problem, nightclubs are not the problem, brothels are not the problem, gambling's not the problem, sin is the problem. It's always been the problem, and Jesus is still the answer. He's always been the answer. He's always going to be the answer. And we, the church, have a responsibility to take that answer to the world. And one thing I've noticed over the last, well, few years is this, though, that sometimes we can be a little bit afraid of the answer. Because we're living in a culture, in a society where it's not as well received as it used to be. And I believe this. I believe the Achilles heel of the modern day Christian is our insatiable desire to be loved and accepted by the world. There's this thing within the body of Christ that we think that the world needs to accept what we do to validate what we do. And the truth of the matter is this, we are not called to be loved and accepted by the world. In fact, following Jesus often will get you rejected by the world. When we follow, you know, we live according to the word of God, not according to the word of the world. We don't live according to culture, we live to, we're called to influence culture. And too often, we try and submit to worldly culture to influence it. And we become exactly like worldly culture wrapped in a Christian blanket. And it's useless and it's ineffective. We're not called to be like the world. We're called to influence the world. And why would the world want what we have if what we have looks like what they have? We just have a few more rules and guilt attached to it. There's something different about being a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so today, I want to I wanna speak into four actions of advancement of the gospel. Because we're called to be a, we're not a passive religion. Can I say that? We, we, we're not a sit back and hope for the best. We are an active people. We, we, we're called a proselytizing faith, which means we tell people about Jesus. And can I tell you, we, we often want to speak about, you know, loving without agenda. That's not true. We love with a huge agenda as Christians. Our agenda is that people would meet Jesus. I love the world because I want them to meet Jesus. I, I don't love the world so they'll accept me. 
I don't love the world so that I can feel good. We love the world with an assignment, with an agenda that they would meet the hope of humanity. The same Jesus that healed your heart. The same Jesus that healed your marriage. The same Jesus that touched your life, that touched your mind, that healed your body. We want the world to know Him. So our love is selfless for us but it has an assignment, and that's that people might need Jesus. We're called to advance the gospel. Amen. So Matthew chapter 16, verse 17 is our main passage today. Matthew chapter 16, verse 17 through 19. This is what it says. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, or the gates of Hades, will not overcome it. Verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is Jesus asking Peter, or or, or, saying, who do you say that I am? And he says that you are Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responds and says, this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And then he says that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Can I quickly uh, inform us that Peter is not the rock in which Jesus wants to build his church. Peter is a person. The rock, the foundation is Christ and him crucified, that Jesus is the son of the living God, that he was born of the Virgin Mary, conceived of the Holy Spirit, that he was resurrected from the dead, that he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father. From there, he will one day judge the living and the dead. The foundation that he's going to build his church on is not a person, but it's a revelation of Christ and him crucified. And I, I, I believe wholeheartedly that, that, that Christ is building his church. I mean, we know that there are more Christians in the world than ever before. So we're not retreating. We're not, it's not like we're on the back foot, but we have to understand that he's building his church. But I don't just believe he's building it numerically, although he is building it numerically. I believe, especially in the days that we're in, Christ is building his church foundationally. He's building it in understanding of what it lo- looks like to live according to the Word of God, or what it looks like to live according to kingdom values and kingdom culture in a culture and society that is not interested in what we are interested in, that calls what we believe in hate speech, what calls what we believe in all sorts of things. I believe he's building it foundationally so that there's a solid rock of truth for us to stand on. Because we live in a world, and you'll know it, I know it, that people are trying to erase truth. They're trying to say there is no actual, they're, they're, it's, the world is actually losing its mind. Yeah. Like there are things that are like, you know, we, we as general society believe that the sun comes up in the morning and goes down in the evening, right? Yeah. Yeah. Any flat earthers maybe? <laughs> but that's what we would generally believe. And for thousands of years, we believe that the sun comes up in the morning and goes down in the evening. We live in a culture that someone can object to that truth and they are validated in their idea that that's not, it goes around this way. Or they, they, we live in a culture that can change simple truths and then anyone who tells them that unfortunately based on science that you're wrong, 
that that person is a bigot, that that person is a hater, that that person is insensitive. We're living in a crazy, mixed-up world, and we need to be built according to the Word of God, according to the Word of truth, because this is what we live by. Whether we like it or not, I don't necessarily love how everything's worked out throughout Scripture, but I'm submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, so therefore I will submit to His Word because that's what He's asked me to do, not because I always feel like it, although the more you get to know Him, the more you learn that you love to live according to His Word. I believe that Christ is building His church foundationally. I believe He's building it in purity. I believe He's building it in power again. I love the statement that Scott said before. He said that our God is good, but our God is powerful. I believe he's building the church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know, it tells us in the book of Acts that you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. We're a church that believes in the power of the Holy Spirit. You shall receive miraculous power When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, it says to be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So you are born into biblical living, the ends of the earth. But you receive power for a purpose. Now, I'm a little bit of like a crazy, charismatic character. I kind of like the real, like, wild. I mean, I wish I was born in the 80s and 90s of, of the Pentecostal church. I, like, when I look, I love that kind of thing. But the truth of the matter is this, that we don't receive the power of the Holy Spirit to shake, rattle, and roll on the floor. We, we, don't, we, we don't receive the power of the Holy Spirit just to speak in tongues. The Bible tells us that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you for a purpose, and that purpose is to be a witness of who Jesus is. You are endued with power so that you can function beyond human limitations in a different kind of way to be a witness of the Savior of the world whose name is Jesus. Come on, do you believe that this morning? And so if we are called and endued with power to be a Witness, then I want to go through very quickly with the time we have left four actions of advancement of the gospel, of the kingdom of God. Number one is simple, and it's this proclamation. Preach the gospel. Mark 16, 15. Jesus, your Lord. You know, it's important. I, I don't have time to go on this, but Jesus tells us in scripture, he says to his people, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, yet not do the things that I say? We are saved by grace for the good works that were prepared before us, before him, for us. The fruit of your life that says you trust Jesus is that you live by what he says. Jesus gives us commands. We trust his promises and we obey his commands. We trust that he's the eternal savior, Jesus Christ, Lord of all. And because we trust him, we live according to what he says. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, yet not do the things which I say? The challenge this morning on that thought is, let's be a people that don't just call him Lord, Lord. Let's be a people that call him Lord and do what he says. Why would we just trust him with our eternity and not with today? It's when it comes to giving and generosity, we say we trust God with our eternal salvation, yet giving him money into his kingdom, that's a little bit of a dangerous thing to do. The fruit of of your trust is found in your obedience, amen? At least the pastor's like that thought. Everybody else is a bit angry with me now. Let's go back to preaching the gospel. 
Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. And uh, whoever does not believe will be condemned. We're called to proclaim the gospel. There's a thing called the five-fold ministry. The apostles, the pastors, the teacher, the evangelist. There's one more in there. Pastors, preachers, not preachers, prophets, evangelists, apostles, teachers. Praise God for... Their job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Their job is not to just do all the ministry. I understand that not everybody's going to be Reinhard Bonnke. Not everybody's going to be an evangelist of note. But we are all called to evangelize. We are all called because Jesus commissioned us, not through the fivefold, but Jesus, our Lord, said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So I'm charging you today with a cause of obedience that we, you and I, regardless of personality trait, regardless of style, regardless of preference, are all called to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. You may not all do it from a platform. You may not all do it on YouTube, but you have a mouth, you have a testimony, and you have people in your world that need you to proclaim to them the goodness of God found in the person of Jesus. To proclaim, to preach, is to announce, to herald, to publicly proclaim. There's got to be a public profession of our faith. I believe in living a life that represents Jesus before you even open your mouth. I think it's so important to live a life that represents Jesus without saying a word. However, regardless of that truth, the other truth is the same, that we are all called to open our mouth and proclaim the goodness of God found in Jesus. Amen. The gospel, we understand, is the good news. It speaks in one sense of the arrival of God's kingdom and the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus. The good news is that we were all dead in our sin, but Jesus came to save us. Dead in sin, Jesus came to save us. It's important that we understand this because, again, we live in a culture that you know, doesn't want to hear the truth. Now, they not, may not believe our truth, but that doesn't change what we believe and who we are responsible to live according to. You see, the thing about the gospel is it's good news. The unfortunate side of good news is bad news. And, and you know, we, we, in our day, kind of like words like hell and sin are like almost swear words. There are even Christians that are so upset with the concept of hell and sin that they avoid it at all costs and create doctrines that dismantle it and disprove it to make the world be able to accept the truth of the gospel. But the reality is, is that the good news of God is found in Jesus. But then there's bad news. Now, the reason we desire things like joy is because we know what it's like to be depressed. The reason we desire peace is because we know what it's like to feel anxious, to feel chaos. That the reason that we desire good it's because we know there is bad. The reason we desire to be healthy is because we know what it's like to be sick. 
part of the goodness of the grace of God found in Jesus is the reality that there is bad news. And that bad news is that those who do not believe in Jesus will spend eternity in destruction and torment in hell. That's the reality. And we, you know, I, I don't think we're supposed to go out there and preach hellfire and brimstone and try and fear everybody into the kingdom of God. Because my Bible tells me it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. Because He's a good God. But why is He a good God? He's a good God because while we were still dead in our sin, while we were depraved, while we were actually what the Bible calls enemies of God, while we were dead in our sin, God sent Jesus to save us. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son Jesus, that whoever, which means anybody, red, yellow, black and white, rich, poor, it doesn't matter. Whoever believes would not perish, but have everlasting life. So those who believe will have everlasting life. It goes on to say in John 3, 17, he says, he says, those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. Can I suggest to you this, that I don't believe we serve an angry God in heaven who sent Jesus to send people to hell. The truth of the matter is the Bible tells me that those who don't believe are already condemned because they've rejected Jesus. So we don't serve an angry God in heaven who sent Jesus to send people to hell. We serve a loving, good God in heaven who sent Jesus to give people a way out. There is a day that will come where God and Jesus will judge the living and the dead. But Jesus came to give all of humanity. When the Bible speaks of the world, for God so loved the world, it speaks of the totality of fallen humanity, past, present, and future. The world is those who are dead in their sin. God loves sinful people, which was you and me. God loves sinful, broken people so much that instead of cutting them off and sending them to hell, He sent them a person called Jesus, the Son of the living God. He is grace personified. He offered Jesus and He said, All you who are weary, come to me and I will give you rest. And he comes and he offers himself as the perfect sacrifice and says, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to get all your ducks in a row. You don't have to do all these things. I'm here. And if you receive me, I'll transform your life. You see, you can come to Jesus as you are. The world can come to Jesus as they are. Everybody is welcome to come to Jesus. But I promise if you choose him, if you receive him, you will not stay the same. Coming and seeing Jesus is free. Following him will cost you your entire life. But what is it? What is it? Should we, what would we give up to gain the whole world? Would we lose our soul? Jesus says, come to me, deny yourself, take up your cross. Those who didn't give up their life for my sake will find true life. This is the gospel that while we were dead in our sin, on our way to destruction that a good God in heaven sent Jesus. And you and I, the church of Jesus Christ, the mouthpiece of Jesus Christ, the hands and feet, not just the pastor, not just the, the evangelist, just not the apostle, not just the prophet, not just the teacher, but people who believe. 
Would you go into all the world and proclaim, open your mouth, be confident and courageous to tell the world, publicly proclaim the goodness of God because the world needs it. And Jesus commanded it. Amen. Amen. The second thing is this, multiplication. We're called to multiply. We're called to be a growing church. We're called to make disciples. Amen. Matthew 28, 19, famous scripture. We all know it. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Can I say this? Church growth starts with evangelism. It's sustained through discipleship. I love winning the lost. I've spent the past four years of my life full-time trusting God for, for our finances, for our provision to preach the gospel of salvation. But can I tell you, we cannot fall in the trap of just looking for hands in the air. Jesus asked us to preach the gospel and make disciples. He didn't say preach the gospel so someone could put a hand in the air so we can put it on the screen and tell you how many people got saved in our service because we emotionally manipulated them into a moment of putting their hand up. Now, I'm not saying we don't do it. I do it everywhere I go if, if we have time that we are given invitation, but we're not just called for hands in the air. We're called to make disciples. Disciples is somebody who lives like Jesus. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Discipleship is simple. It doesn't have to be overcomplicated. Discipleship is a life transaction. Now, I've heard this great statement throughout the years, and I love it. It says, discipleship is relationship. But can I tell you, relationship is not discipleship. Discipleship is intentional. We can have friends. That doesn't mean there's discipleship happening. There's an intentionality through our relationships to be disciple makers, to teach people about Jesus. It has to be intentional. It just can't be accidental. You know, it's easy. Discipleship doesn't have to be hard. It's teaching somebody what God has taught you. Don't overcomplicate it. If God's not taught you anything, you need to go get discipled by somebody who can teach you what God taught them. And then when you learn what God taught them, you can teach somebody else what God taught you. It's this simple cycle. And the truth is, if you don't know how to teach somebody something, the best way is to go and learn something. If you want to teach, you need to learn. But this is part of what we're commissioned and we're called to do. We trust that God is the provider. We trust that Jesus is the Savior. So we obey His commands and live according to His purposes and His Scripture that we're called to preach the gospel and make disciples. Amen? God's not just looking for powerful meetings. He's looking for a powerful movement. Because meetings can be momentary, but a movement can be revolutionary. And our world, the Western world, our culture needs a revolution, not of love, but of the good gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? And we're the carriers. Come on, do you believe it this morning? The third one is this. Maybe the worship team can come behind me. I don't know if we're allowed to do that, but let's do that. The third one is this, uh, is, is demonstration. The demonstration of God's kingdom. Jesus went around, and in fact, almost every single time within the Gospels that Jesus, it says Jesus went and preached the gospel of the kingdom, it's almost immediately followed up with, 
and he healed all those who were sick and oppressed of the devil. If I'm called to imitate Paul, who said, imitate me as I imitate Christ, and Jesus went around, Acts 10, he says, Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit who went around doing good, healing all who were sick and oppressed of the devil. If he's our example, if Jesus is our example, friends, you and I are called to go around healing all who are sick and oppressed of the devil. Matthew 10, 7. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near, which means it's available now. It's not a distant story. It's not just a big thing in the sky. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's available. And he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, drive out demons. Freely you have received, so freely give. Can I tell you this? Sickness comes from hell. Disease comes from hell. Viruses come from hell. I'm not saying that Satan's out here like with the magic wand putting sickness on everybody. I'm saying it's a result of sin. It's a result of demonic forces. And there are times where Satan attacks the people of God. It's just a reality whether you like it or not. But we don't have to be afraid. We have power, all authority and power over the power of the enemy. Sickness is to the body what sin is to the soul and both were paid for by the blood of Jesus. And if we don't believe it, we're never going to see it. Seeing people healed and set free from demonic oppression is as simple as believing that it's possible, laying your hands upon people and believing God to do it. God's the miracle worker. We're the hands and feet. There's not a pressure. Don't feel pressure. We have to realize that we're called within the body of Christ to see the sick healed and the oppressed set free. Because it's a demonstration of the kingdom of God. It's the love of God expressed through the power of God. Because His love is everything. But part of that love is as we can believe together in, in, in the face of every adversity, in the face of every impossibility, I don't have time this morning to go into testimonies, but the things that I've seen over the past eight years of ministry are unbelievable. For almost every sickness you can think of healed, almost every single disease healed, unusual miracles like, like lazy eyes straightening in front of our eyes. In New Zealand, actually, that was. In Ireland, a young girl had a crooked nose and in front of us, it popped back into place. In our youth camps in, uh, in, in Brisbane and around the world, people with self-harm scars, not just being emotionally healed, but brand new skin coming. I mean, the things are unbelievable because we serve a God and we're to demonstrate His goodness. I don't want to just talk about His goodness. I want to see it manifest so people can witness the reality of the goodness of our God. His name is Jesus. He is the healer. And I'll never shy away from it. We don't understand everything. I know the speaking of healing brings up so many questions for so many people. The simplicity of it is this. There's a box up here called the mystery box. If you don't know what's going on, just put it in there. Don't move it from there to the God's in control box all the time. There are moments that things go into the sovereignty of God box. But let's not just use that as a scapegoat for everything we don't understand. I put it up here. I've seen people healed from cancer, from diabetes, from incurable diseases, from multiple sclerosis, so all sorts of things that my grandmother 
died of Parkinson's disease. You think I didn't pray for her hundreds, if not thousands of times. I don't understand it. But what I'm not going to do is just go, well, God's in control. Yep, I guess God just wanted to take my grandmother. I'll put it over here and I say, God, I don't understand. But you know what? I do understand that you commissioned me to go into all the world, preach the gospel, heal the sick, drive out demons. Because I freely received the grace of God. So let me freely release the grace of God. And the fourth one this morning is this domination. (laughs) We are called to advance God's kingdom. The first scripture we read, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Can I tell you, I'll finish with this. When I used to look at this scripture, I loved it. I was like, we are the church of Jesus Christ and we are, we're powerful. And here we're going to stand here and hell can send all its hordes and do whatever it wants. But we're never going to be defeated because we are the church of Jesus Christ. I get you know, these, these, this picture of, of us standing strong, standing firm in the faith. And as I was processing and praying, I, I felt God just shift my perspective a little bit. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. See, there's a difference. We're not hiding behind the gates of heaven. They're hiding behind the gates of hell. And Christ is going to build His church, and the gates of hell will not be able to withstand the forceful advancement of the kingdom of God. They can shy us away. They can try and shut our mouths. But we are the church of Jesus Christ, and we are called for such a time as this. It might look dark out there, but we got to keep shining bright because we carry the hope of the world. We have a supernatural peace that transcends understanding. It's found in the person of Jesus and it's not time for us to shy away we are to advance to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to make disciples to demonstrate the kingdom of God through signs wonders and miracles and to destroy the gates of hell Jesus says I was made manifest that I might destroy the works of the devil well friends we carry Christ on the inside of us and you and I are called to destroy the works of of the devil it's our responsibility never has the church had such a great time in in our day to shine bright in the face of adversity can I tell you I don't know where you sit or what you think but you've not been given a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind Can I be as offensive to say is that I will preach the gospel. If a virus takes my life, better that I'm with Christ. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. If I'm to lose my life, I spend eternity with Christ. But while I'm here, I will not bow to a spirit of fear because I am called for such a time as this. I've not been given a spirit of fear. I've got the spirit of Christ living inside of me. And it's the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. He's living in me. He's living in you. And we have a responsibility. Holy Spirit, I thank you. I thank you for your manifest presence in this room. I thank you for your manifest power in this room. God, that today something would shift. That there'd be a divine appointment, a divine shifting. Uh, I stir up the gift of God that's already on the inside of them today. In the name of Jesus.